And last week we were in, in Amos and we talked about warning signs and, and God's judgment and and uh, you know why is it that we we fail to heed and talked a little bit about what the the uh, the the what the warning signs and and the promise of God's judgment means to us. So we're going to look at a little bit further in Amos, still talking about Israel, still talking about their their ongoing problems. Um, and but at this time we're going to talk about how God is holding His people accountable to Him and uh, see if we can get some application out of that as well because accountability is so important in all aspects of, uh, of, of being obedient. It's, it's important in, in aspects of justice and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight and, and why it is so important that we are uh, held accountable to, to God, by God, uh, but also should we be held accountable in some other areas of our life and, and how is it, why is it a good thing? And why do we hate it so much? I don't like being held accountable. <laughs> I don't. It makes me nervous. It makes me think I'm, I'm going to mess up. But that's my desire, I guess, to do it right. I don't know. I guess you could say it that way. I know when I used to make jet engine parts every night, accountability was uh, was a big part of the job. You you were given the instructions, you were told how to do things, and and you had to follow the the the, the letter of the law, you know, to the, to the T, and make sure that what you did was right because there was a lot at stake. And yeah, they went through all kinds of tests and all kinds of uh, inspections and evaluations before they ever made it into something that Doug would fly. But nonetheless, who me? Yeah, who you? Yeah. <laughs> Does he need to? Oh, did, yeah. Did you get a get a, a page back there, Doug? All right. Pass you one back that way. But we were we were held accountable for following. Uh, Following the instructions and making sure we did things right. We had an instance where we made some special parts for GE for a test engine that they were were uh, uh, putting together. And this was this was a bunch of one-time parts. We never made them before, and unfortunately, somebody left out one row of holes in a vein that went inside of the engine. That was uh, these holes were serving. The, these holes are there to allow for uh, a barrier of cool air to go across the surface of the part because as as the engine's heating up the the temperature of the gases inside the, the engine can get hot enough to melt the metal but if you've got everything just right and the cooling holes are in place you get a, a, a layer of of air that provides a protective barrier and uh, they fired the engine up in a, in, a, in a test facility and it blew up and they traced it back to one part that had one row of about six holes missing. And they were, they were probably, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm trying to remember how they looked, but they were probably around 20 thousandths of an inch in diameter, little cooling holes. And just because they were, weren't there, that interrupted that flow of air to protect that area of the engine. And uh, so 
that's, of course, that's, again, that's why they test it. That's why we go through multiple things. But accountability is so important because people's, in that situation, people's lives are at stake. Doug, do you ever get held accountable for anything when you're flying? Do people, is, it, is accountability important in your job? Yep. So that, well, and things like that drive you to do to, to, to do it right. And, and if you don't know what you're doing, to ask questions and figure it out. Yeah. Because you're going to be held accountable. Yeah. When Andy and them go to work on Indians, one person is an inspector, I think they call it. He's not allowed to touch a wrench. You just got to watch to see what that. Focus. Stuff gets done that's supposed to be done and doesn't get overlooked. Sure. Yeah. It is a big deal. He said it, it doesn't agree with him at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into this and see our biblical application today. Um, let's, let's open with a word for it. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here this evening, Lord. We just thank you so much for... Uh, for seeing us through each day. Uh, Lord, we are grateful that we get to come here and, and spend this time, Lord, just studying your word. And, and it's our endeavor during this time to know you more, Lord, uh, to, to draw closer to you and to strengthen our relationship with you. Uh, Lord, we just pray that your presence will be felt as we study your word here. And uh, we just pray that it will open up to us and that it will enrich our lives and allow us, uh, as we depart from here, to make decisions, Lord, that will honor you and uh, and will show the love of Christ to those around us. And thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's let's set some some scene here just a little bit. I'm going to read you something out of, uh, to find it. Set this to set the stage briefly. For where we are. Here it is. I knew it was here somewhere. So just get a picture of the time that this is occurring in. It says, in the time of Amos, which is 783 to 746 BC, Samaria had a wealthy and indulgent upper class. They built this wealth on the backs of the common people by oppressing them and exploiting the middle and lower classes. Amos knew God would hold the leaders accountable for the that type of disregard of the poor. The beginning of the 8th century BC had brought great hope to Israel and Judah. Damascus's domination of Israel had ended abruptly when the Assyrians crushed Damascus in 802 BC. In Judah, Uzziah ascended the throne in 792 BC and solved some of the internal struggles in the nation. At the same time, Jeroboam II took control in Israel and restored much of the territory that had fallen to Damascus. So it was a rare time of peace at the same time for both Judah and Israel. We talked about that last week, the northern and southern kingdoms. But it also inspired a time of corruption when those who lived in luxury oppressed those who were poor. And this caused the rise of the 8th century prophets, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah. 
though the messages of these prophets were largely ignored by both Judah and Israel. So I just wanted to, to, to want you to get, get a, a picture. This is a time of prosperity in both Judah and Israel. Things are going very well. The rich are getting richer. Um, I'm amazed sometimes when I see these pictures of Dubai and some of the, the cities and the places that are, are uh, over in, in the United Arab Emirates and those areas where the, the oil, oil rich nations are. And you see the, the, the excess that seems to exist inside of those nations. There's so much building going on, so much. It's, it seems like they're just trying to build the next bigger and better thing. And, and I, I think of, of this picture here where if things are going remarkably well, the rich are getting richer and they're doing it here by literally pushing the poorer down further and further and further. And, uh, and it's not something that God wants anyone to do, much less his chosen people. And that's where we really fall into a problem here is that we know what God expects from his chosen people. We know how blind his chosen people seem to be. And Amos has come to talk to them about what they're doing and how they're going to be held accountable. So we'll get into that in chapter chapter 4 and start breaking down what he has to tell them during this time here and see what he has to say. So let, we're going to look first at, verses one, first at verses 1 through 3. He writes, Listen to this message, you cows of Bashan who are on the hill of Samaria, women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to their husbands, Bring us something to drink. There's an incredible picture here because first and foremost, if you look at, at what the, uh, the ESV study Bible, how it breaks these verses down, it, it, it says that, that uh, Amos is making a point here that it's not just the males who are the ones that are oppressing the poor. It's the male and the female. It's, it's the women who are just as much involved as, as anyone in the act of, of, of oppressing the poor and essentially crushing them and putting them down. And he equates them here to the cattle that are found in Bashan because this is a, a rather rich area where the cattle are, are, are well fed and, and they're plump and, you know, they're, they're, I almost said plump and juicy. That's just a terrible term to, to talk about a cow. But, so, but they're, they're, well, that's true. I, I guess so. I was thinking strawberry though. When I, as soon as I said it, as soon as it popped into my head, the vision in my head went from a nice-looking cow to a strawberry. And so I had, to, I, had to, I had to do something to break that chain. I was going the wrong direction. So you all don't need to see inside my head, do you? Yeah, that's, that's just a bad idea. Uh, so, so he's comparing them to these cattle and saying, basically, you know, you're, just, you're fat, dumb, and happy, and you're, and you're, you're getting there by, by suppressing those who are in need, the ones you're supposed to be helping, the ones that you're called to, to lift up, you're pushing them further and further down. So it says, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness. So the Lord God is holy. We know that. It says, look, the days are coming when you will be taken away with hooks, every last one of you with fish hooks. You will go through breaches in the wall, each woman straight ahead, and you will be driven along toward Harmon. 
This is the Lord's declaration. I can't find anybody who has any idea where Harmon actually is, but there, there, there is some speculation that it's actually a um, reference to a, to a trash heap. Um, and so it, 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 that just changes the picture even more. If you, if you think about you know, that being a, a trash heap. Rumpke. What's that? Uh, Rumpke, yeah. Yeah, we're going to Rumpkeville. Yep, you're headed to Rumpkeville. Now, uh, also something I found interesting in the, in the ESV, the ESV claims that there are drawings from the civilization at that time of uh, literally people being dragged out of cities with hooks in their mouth that this was potentially, that this may be a literal reference of how they would remove certain individuals from the city in, in a very, uh, let's say, um, uh, unpleasant way. Um, I'll read you a couple notes here. It says, as a, as a judge pronouncing it, God described the days when those living in luxury would be taken away with hooks. And um, the author of this study says it's probably in a sense of a hook designed to drag cattle that Amos is intending to make reference to. Uh, but the, the ESV study notes point paint a, a slightly different picture. Neither do I care to be dragged out by. Uh, but nonetheless, it still paints a picture. I think I actually have this here. It says, it's not clear where Harmon was located, though some have identified it with the garbage heap in Isaiah, uh, reference in Isaiah 2510. Uh, so... We have that as, as a potential, but so so let's let's ask a question here. Um, when when people are treating others the way that the Israelites here are treating those who are in need, how, what does it say about potentially about their spiritual condition? I know we talk about we're not we're not supposed to judge. Well, let's let's back away from that for a minute, and and let's. And, and let's really approach this the right way. Um, can we make some conclusions, probably, about the spiritual condition of people who are treating people that way? They needed an attitude adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Hank Jr. got in trouble for that song. You know that, right? So, <laughs> but you're right. They need an attitude adjustment. Something's something's off. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not called to be this way. They're not called to have uh, corruption in their society. They're not called uh, to be insensitive to the plight of the poor and the needy. Um, God is, God is going to hold them accountable for their sins against him and for their sins against one another. They're, 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 and we're going to read about it here in a second, but they are falling into this pattern this pattern of legalism. They're falling into this pattern where they, they believe that as long as they do A, B, C, D, and E, and they check off all the boxes, everything's good. We've done what we need to do. We're, we're, we're fulfilling the rituals. We're showing up here. We're, we're doing this. We're pushing that button. We're pulling this lever, and everything's going to be fine. They're like the Pharisees. They're like the Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah. And we start to see some of this come out here in, in, in verse 4. Verse 4, it says, Come to Bethel and rebel. Rebel even more at Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tents, every three days. 
offer leavened bread as a, as a thanksgiving sacrifice and loudly proclaim your freewill offerings, for that is what you Israelites love to do. This is a declaration of the Lord God. So in other words, you're showing up, you're bringing your sacrifices, you're, doing, you're, you're, you're going through the motions. But where is your heart? That is, that, that's an element that was so often missed in, in the Old Testament. It's missed in the New Testament. It's missed today. There's far too many denominations, far too many uh, uh, folks who proclaim to be Christians who are, I'm going to say, so distracted by the world that they're just worried about checking boxes. They're, dis they're distracted by the religion and not influenced by the relationship. Without a doubt, yeah. Without a doubt, they're not influenced by because they because they're not developing a relationship. They don't even have a relationship, probably in a lot of cases. And and so you know you have to be concerned about. Uh, this was something that that I know I talked to Jordan a lot about because he had a he had a concern when he was pastor about folks being saved or 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 committing to salvation without truly understanding what it meant to be saved. And, and his worry was that, and he took it personally, his worry was that he would, would bring somebody into church membership, right? Yeah, bring them into church membership, and then he would feel responsible for that individual not knowing and not continuing on and not being discipled, etc. And And so early on, those were some discussions that he and I had about concerns that he had about people who would, who would proclaim that that they uh, had been saved, and so it's a legitimate concern that folks who step forward and say, "Yes, I know Jesus. Yes, I'm yeah, yes, I'm saved, and yes, I want to accept <laughs> Jesus as my Savior." That's wonderful, but at that point on, discipleship comes into play to make sure they understand that it's not just a show up to church, you know, be kind to other people, check your boxes. Where is your heart at? Where, where, where does, do you really, really and truly understand what it means to have salvation? And there's a, there's a difference there. And so on, on, the, on the surface, some of these folks are just checking the boxes and saying, I got it figured out. I know what I'm doing. I've been sacrificing. I'm, I'm proclaiming my free will offerings. And, and God is saying here, not Amos, God is saying, look at you guys. This is what you love to do. You, you really get a kick out of this, don't you? But you're missing the picture. You're, you're missing the bigger picture. And, and you don't understand what I really require of you. And if, if, if you just understood and were able to understand that it is, it is the heart and the desire to know God and to please God and to trust God that leads you to salvation and nothing that we do, it changes your picture and your point of view. Um, we talked a little bit about last week about um, the group Mercy Me. It's interesting to look at their music back when the band was, was, was first recording. Their music has a different tone, different feel, different message. All of a sudden they hit an album, uh, probably I must say five, six years ago, maybe a little more, called Welcome to the New. And it was interesting because their lead singer had been living a life of Christianity, so he proclaimed, and his understanding of Christianity was, 
I need to keep doing things to make God happy. If I don't keep doing things, I'm going to wind up falling out of God's grace. And he said that the lights went on one day. He was listening to a preacher. He was having some, some Bibles. There was something going on. I don't know. cannot remember the exact circumstance. But the lights literally went on for him. Now, wait a minute. It, it, it doesn't, this isn't about what I do. This is all about what Christ did. The, the Bible's clear on this. How have I missed this for almost 30 some odd years? And yet I've been going around saying, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a Christian, when I didn't truly accept what Jesus did for me as enough. I had been living this life where I kept thinking, I have to just, I have to keep getting, earning God. Every day I gotta get up, I gotta earn God's approval again. I gotta earn it again and again and again. I, I, I had missed it completely. And when you start attaching the, you know, your salvation to your works and you start thinking that God literally is, is just the great, the great judge in the sky who says, if you, if you misstep, I'm going to disown you. Um, you, you really got a bad picture of, of how this is all supposed to be. But uh, take, if you take a listen to their, that album especially, that entire album is filled with songs that literally just talk about how it's, it's all you, Jesus. You, you did everything. And, and, and finally, I get it. Finally, I get it. And uh, the Israelites never did get it. So let's move on here a little bit. pages turn here verses six it says i gave you absolutely nothing to eat in all your cities a shortage of food in all your communities yet you did not return to me so what we're seeing here is god detailing the things he has done to the israelites to try to give them an opportunity to turn and repent so he is chastising them he is he, he's he's sending judgment upon them in various ways to try to get them to, to turn around. And he says here, I, I did this and you did not return to me. So this is the Lord's declaration. I also withheld the rain from you while there were still three months until harvest. I sent rain on one city, but no rain on another. One field received rain with a field, while a field with no rain withered. Two or three cities staggered to another city to drink water, but were not satisfied, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Now these are, remember, these are the words that Amos is saying. So Amos is saying, these are God's words. When he says, this is the Lord's declaration. He says, I, I struck you with blight and mildew. The locusts devoured your many gardens and vineyards, your fig trees and olive trees yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I sent plagues like those of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your, your captured horses. I caused the stench of your camp to fill your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a burning stick snatched from a fire, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Think of this for a second. He, said, he has sent plagues 
among his chosen people that are like the plagues that he sent on Egypt to Pharaoh. He's telling them, you have become as bad as they are, as they were. And I have done all of these things. I've even overthrown some of your cities the way that I did Sodom and Gomorrah. And some of you, uh, uh, some of you very, very blessed ones, I snatched out of there. And you, look at that picture he gives. You were like a burning stick snatched from a fire. And yet you didn't return to me. It's almost like they are, they're, they're obligated and that they, uh, not obligated, but entitled. So, you know. Like, In what way? Huh? We mean? Well, I mean, it's just like they, they're seeing like their blessings and like they just, they're just not getting enough. So everything that God has done for them, you know, they're, they feel entitled every time they get more, you know, and they're, it's just not enough so so there so here's the problem and you're and you're right when you tell somebody that you are God's chosen people the implication there should be God expects you to behave here he expects this from you he expects you to worship he expects he expects he expects and he has every right to expect it but the understanding turned out to be we're God's chosen people. It's going to happen to us. We can do whatever we want. All we got to do is check the boxes. We're good. And we don't have to worry about all this stuff. We can do what we want. Dad's going to forgive exactly. us Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Dad's going to forgive us anyway. Yeah. And, and so that whole the whole implication there was lost on the Israelites for what, what really and truly God expects from his people. You know, you look at this, what we've talked about. All the things that they were doing, the way that the way that that they are the rich getting richer, the, the, they're stepping on the head of the poor, um, they're treating each other badly, they're they're not giving God His due, um, and God continues to come back to them over and over and says, "I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another chance." And unfortunately, they keep going the other direction. And so here Amos is telling them. Listen, you know, I'm, I'm going to hold you. God's going to hold you accountable. Accountability's coming. Kind of make me remind you of the, some of the TV evangelists, or TV preachers, and some of them that maybe they started out for the right reasons, but their pride and glory got the best of them, and now they're, they put themselves up on the pedestal and knocked God off. Yeah. And that's kind of like what they these people have done. You know, they put them, themselves up on this pedestal and taken God out of the equation. It's really hard. I mean, power. What, what is it? They what, what's the word? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, the the higher you get up up the ranks, um, the the harder it is to see um, how how you're misbehaving and what you're doing wrong. And. And, and this was a time of prosperity. And I mean, they had trouble, good times and bad. But the better the, the better times were, the worse they were behaving. And the, and the, the, the more corrupt they, they wound up being. Um, through the generations, they still did their rituals. And like you said, they lost the relationship because that wasn't talking to them anymore. So that all kind yeah. of 
Yeah, I'll talk about Jordan again. When he went to Israel, uh, uh, back when he he was our first year as our pastor here, I think about 2015, he went to Israel, he came back and talked about how so many of the Jews in Israel who were, uh, they were practicing the rituals, but they had no knowledge of anything from a historical standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, of why they were doing these things. Why were these things handed down from their from their ancestors and their forefathers? Uh, they just all they knew was this time of day we do this, this particular day we do this, and they would follow those rituals, but they didn't have any understanding of the of the true historical implication or the or the the meanings or why God even established any of those things back in the Old Testament. I mean, and it, it kind of goes goes back to like when even like when the Israelites um, were, I think it was when they were still over in Egypt in bondage. Eventually, I mean, and it goes down and it comes back to say that this generation knew not the God of Moses. Was it the God of Moses or was it? I'm, I mean, I'm not entirely sure where that, where, where, where you're referencing. Well, I might not, I might have came from wrong, but it, it kind of goes back and it says like as generations that came gone, they forgot. They knew not know. They knew not know the God of Joseph, not Moses, but Joseph. Joseph. Okay. Yeah, I, I had one wrong prophet. You know, you know, the, they knew not the God of Joseph. You know, after who saved them out of the slavery. You know, because it didn't get passed on like she was saying, like on and on. So they knew what they needed to do, but they didn't know who they needed to do it to. You know, you know what you're doing is on the way you're doing it. Yeah. yeah. These yeah. plagues, they saw God do them to Egypt. And it's happening to them. Yeah. And they are clueless. They're clueless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, they, they, and they are clueless. Uh, some, of these, uh, some of the notes here um, uh, that are, are accompanying this. It says, in these verses, Amos listed five calamities that should have turned the hearts of Israel back to God, but did not. In verse 6, the prophet described times of famine that should have awakened Israel from its rebellion. The phrase nothing to eat literally in Hebrew described God as giving them cleanness of teeth. But they, they literally had no food to get stuck in their teeth. In verses 7 and 8, Amos described how God sent a shortage of water at the worst possible time in the agricultural year. A third calamity was the failure of the crops. Disease in the form of blight and mildew caused by warm, damp rains affected the harvest. Then locusts came and destroyed what was left. Such a catastrophic event in an agricultural society should have caused the Israelites to be on their knees before God, but they did not return to God. Then a fourth calamity involved disease and death. Young men unexpectedly died. Even their horses perished to the smell of death. Uh, and the smell of death was all around Israel. Still, Israel did not repent. And finally, some of the prominent cities of Israel were overthrown like Sodom and Gomorrah, yet God had plucked them from the fire. The nation just came out of a period of domination by Damascus. But when that ended with Jeroboam II, they still did not repent and turn to God. God's involvement in the events of verses 6 to 11 was redemptive in nature. He orchestrated the events in Israel to give them opportunity to repent, but they refused. A lot of stuff to read there, but good stuff. Um, it's, it's, I don't, you know, I think, I think sometimes about punishing a child and how some children respond rather quickly 
and other children you just can't reach. You, you try different tactics, you try different ways, you get a little bit harsher, you try getting easier, you let them sometimes um, experience different levels of success. It doesn't matter what it is, and yet they just don't see that they're being disobedient and that they're doing the wrong things, and you just can't reach them. Um, Israel's been that kind of a child. They've been that kind of a child. But, you got those that just don't care. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't go there. Um, but but I, I, I think of it in those terms, and I realize, you know, each of us sitting here at some time in our life has been that kind of a child. You know, there's God has, God has hit me over the head sometimes 30 or 40 times before I will wake up and realize what he is trying to tell me and, and go in a different direction. And I just don't listen. And so I can be critical, I can criticize all I want to, but I'm not any different. It just depends on the circumstance, you know? And how deeply rooted am I in what it is in the world that I don't want to change from? What is it that I, you know, in this case, I think they're they're enjoying their, their at this particular time in history, they're enjoying their, uh, their high horse, in, uh, for lack of a better term, and, and so you're not going to listen. Fish hook in you and you're just <laughs> yeah, out. yeah. Once, once a fish hook hits you, the eyes get open. Yeah. You're flopping on the bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then it's too late. Yeah. You're then you're then you're done. Here's an interesting question: Why might two people experience the same sets of calamities, like we're talking about, and one turn to God, while the other would refuse to turn to God? Mm-hmm. We go back to that the, the question earlier of spiritual condition. Where are you in your spiritual condition? Um, you know, it, it's. I had somebody. I, I was I was sitting at a, a table at dinner one night uh, with a vendor from uh, the company I worked for at the time, and he was telling me how his brother was in constant pain from arthritis, was in constant pain from other afflictions could barely walk, and yet he was at church every time the door was open. He was serving in children's ministry, and he was doing everything that he could because he said he just felt led to do it, and he wasn't going to let a little pain stop it. Well, the guy who was talking to me said, I don't understand something. Why in the world would God treat my brother that way when he is so good to him? And... I, I just looked at him and I said, well, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. But I will ask this question. Um, oh, yeah, here's how he ended it. He said, what is God trying to teach him? I said, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe he's not trying to teach him anything, but he's trying to teach you something? <laughs> <laughs> he looked down and he looked back up and he goes, you might have a point. <laughs> Sometimes you have to examine where you are spiritually and how you interpret God's message. Yeah, well, even like if you have two people and both of them are unsaved and they both experience, you know, even within the same family, you know, one will go to God for that and reach out to God where the other one will blame God. It's your will. The two thieves on the cross. 
Yeah. Yeah, you get the contrast. You get the contrast. Let's do verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, Israel, that is what I will do to you. And since I will do that to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He is here, the one who forms the mountains, creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man, the one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. I'll read these notes that we can discuss. It says, the time of accountability had come. The God who was a consuming fire and a jealous God was prepared to bring the nation to accountability. The calamities God had sent to Israel in the past as discipline would now face them in destruction. Food shortage, water shortage, failure of crops, disease and death, and the falling of cities would characterize the upcoming Assyrian invasion of Israel that resulted in the fall of Samaria in 722 BC. What God had first sent as warning signs that were ignored would now be judgments Israel faced. With a note of finality, God said, Israel, prepare to meet your God. They had relied on themselves and their religious performances. Their unwillingness to return to God would result in him coming to them in judgment. All who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ can expect that they will one day be called to accountability for their refusal to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, anybody who says that we shouldn't study the Old Testament is really missing out on a lot. Um, it, it does. It lays the foundation um, and the, the messages are so clear. Uh, and when you realize that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, is the God that we serve today, that there is no different, there are, that God never has changed, he never will change. He is the same today, tomorrow, and, uh, and everlasting. Um, these messages should hold a lot of impact when you're thinking about your salvation and when you're thinking about the salvation of others. Um, it's uh, I'm, I'm happy to get an opportunity to do some of this uh, and do some of the Old Testament. We'll, we'll do some more in Amos actually next week as well. Uh, but but these are all pictures of, of how God expects us to respond and, and what, what comes if we don't respond rightly and don't respond the way that uh, God is calling us to respond to him. Uh, comments, questions? about the judgment that Israel faced and uh, the things that we, uh, we see here and, and uh, their accountability. Because we're all gonna be called to accountability one day, whether we like it or not. We don't talk about that a whole lot in church, do we? No, and it's just like in that <clears throat> how should the promise of standing before God impact how one lives? We've got to think about that. Because if we're not thinking about that, then more than likely we're not acting how we should. No, you're right about that, sir. Um, but it also falls back to if we're putting God's word in our heart, that should be what's coming out of us. 
Yeah, if uh, if you look at the on the back of that, what I gave you, did you did you pull that off the back of there, Jimmy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because those are some questions for for further discussion um, that we could get into just a little bit here. Um, so we talked about that first question and uh, the second question there with four and five. How can the self-indulgent practices of people like those mentioned in verses one to three also affect the way that they worship in four and five? How can a person's worship practices be a cover-up uh, for their sins? Um, I mean, th think about that, right? What they, what they were actually doing was was sinful in and of itself, and yet they were doing it to try and cover up their sinfulness to make them look like they were better than what they truly are. Um, it's 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 the old it's the old story of the guy of, of the guy who goes to church every Sunday and and sings the songs and does you know but but nobody really knows where his heart is or where his life is and and and, that, and that's why it's dangerous for us to judge because agreed. we don't know where their heart is. Yep, agreed. Agreed. <clears throat> but you can use you can use the rituals in an attempt to cover up your sinful life, and that's what the Israelites were were, were really doing here. Being of the world on Sunday, Monday through Saturday, be in the world. Yeah. Yep. You got it. And maybe Wednesday nights too. So. Maybe Wednesday nights. Yeah. <laughs> get about it. Get an hour of reprieve, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Kind of like this is an analogy I've seen, I heard years, like years back. You know, when you accept Christ, you come into your, to your heart. You know, you open the door to your heart. Do you let him in the, the whole house, or do you just bring him in and say, okay, God, this is your room. The rest of the rooms are a total mess. You can't come into those. You know, is he in the guest room? Is he in the basement? Is he in the you know, he, you don't allow him to have free reign of the whole house. You just keep him in. A room where oh this room is nice and clean and this is okay this is where you're allowed you know you can't um, you know so we've got to just open the doors to the whole house and let him have reign of the whole house and not just the little nice tidy room that we want to keep him in it, it took me I, I can't tell you how many years it took me um, to come to the realization that my life cannot be compartmentalized before God and uh, most of you were probably here when John DeBolt preached. You know, the guest that we had from that John brought in. Oh, the other John from Myers. Yes, the yes, the, the other the other John. <laughs> well, I can remember a time when my mindset was still on compartmentalizing things before God. And John DeBolt came into my office because I, I, I worked at Myers Tool for 22 years. And uh, John was there for several years before I left. And he came into my office and we were having a conversation about prayer. And this shows you how, Im how immature I was then and I'm still not, not, that much, not that much mature today. But I told him, I said, you know what I don't do? I said, I never pray about anything related to work. And he said, why not? And immediately what came out of my mouth, and I realized how dumb it was when I said it. I said, because God's got better things to do than worry about my, my, what I'm doing at work. And he said, really? <laughs> <laughs> I remember his response, 
really? <laughs> what was his next word? I don't remember anything after that. <laughs> I don't remember anything after that, but I remember that moment very vividly. And that was, that was, it was almost like that, like God was using John the Bold at that moment to say, hey, wake up, dummy. You know? that, that, that one word got the point. That's, that's all I needed. That's all you needed. That's all I needed. The light came on. Yep. Yeah, that was probably, that's probably 15 years ago or more. More. Yeah, I wasn't teaching Sunday school or anything at that time. And, uh, uh, yeah. John was, John had just, uh, had come in and he was attending a, a, a Christian college and, and had hopes one day to to get into the ministry and well he made it. Uh, but yeah, we can't compartmentalize our lives. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't work because if we do that, we're not giving it all to God. It's every time we sing "I Surrender All," it drives me insane because I can't sing the song because I'm too busy evaluating whether or not I'm still surrendering all. That, that message, every time I hear that song, it hits me so hard because it really does cause self-reflection and it causes evaluation to say, is there, is there, is there anything I'm trying to, to go, no, God, you don't, you don't get this. This is mine. And, and, that, and if so, I, I need to deal with that. I need to fix that problem in order for my relationship with God um, to be what it needs to be. Well, we try to hand it, we, we go and we lay it at the foot of the cross or we give it to him, but then we pick it back up and bring it right back. I mean, it's been years back, um, my sister was going through a hard time and um, I was talking to her and at that point in time, and I think I still can, the lid is somewhere, but it was like a broken lid and it was in two pieces and I kept it because I was going to put it back together, but I never did. But I had each piece in a hand, and I was giving it to her and was asking her to fix it for me. And she was trying to pull it out of my hands, and she finally got mad at me. She goes, well, if you don't let go, I can't fix it. It's like, well, that's the same thing with God. If you don't let go of it, he can't fix it and give it back to you new again, and even better than before. I mean, I can, I can tell that to anybody, but I just I got to practice what I preach, and I had more time practice and what I preach. Yep. There's there's I, I get it. There's 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 two two visualizations that, that help me oftentimes when it comes to things like that. I I visualize handing things to God this way versus handing things to God this way. And leaving that hand open and flat and saying, here you go. Because he'll take it. Do with it what you want. Yes. Not what... Yeah. Because if I do this, I have to I have to yeah, let go, and I and I don't want I don't want to. But you let me let me let me think about doing it open handedly, and it changes my perspective about how I hand it to him. And, uh, and there was a, another visualization that has worked well for me. Was um, I heard a pastor one time talk about how when he would come home from work in the evenings, he would walk in through the door, and his children would come up to greet him. And he would always have his briefcase and his computer and all these things. And he said, they would hug me around my legs and come to see me. But he said, in order for me to truly experience all that that had to offer, I need to lay down all this baggage and embrace them too. And he said, when it comes to our relationship with God, 
He wants us to lay down all of that baggage and embrace him, not keep carrying it while he's trying to help us. <laughs> and uh, so those are those are two for me. Those are powerful pictures. Sadly, they don't help all the time, but they're powerful pictures that I go back to in my mind to try and and realize how we're supposed to handle these things. Um, so, no, great great discussion here. I appreciate uh, the we we'll 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 do we'll wander through the wilderness a bit and we'll come out the other side and uh, see where we are. Anything else before we get into prayer requests and praises for the evening? Well, what about at the top there, as it discusses a group of ways reminding each other of your accountability, but then in the next, how can this be done with humility and transparency? Oh, boy. You know, and that's the thing, uh, without people thinking you're being judgmental, sometimes they take it wrong when you're trying to help. Oh, right. Oh, well, how many times? I'm just trying to help. Yeah, so, but the way people do things sometimes, it's, I'm not it, it, it's names, all in the approach. Yeah, can probably relate. When Barb and I were teaching the youth in Sunday school, and somebody pretty much, I don't want to say, it felt like an attack. Would you agree? When they got on about the teaching. Anyway, there was whole. They were looking at the whole picture. She's not agreeing. Okay, you she, she's let it go. No, again. I know what. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, but but that but, was in a that was in a rough rough during a rough patch. And, well, but it was. But they did look at the heart that we had for teaching. They were looking at it from a judgmental view, and. Yeah, you have to go. You have to go about things in a loving manner for the right reasons. It, it, it felt more like a judgmental attack. Well, it's it. What was? You, you're right. Let, let me read that again. What you just read. How can this be done with humility and transparency? Humility should come first in any approach. Right. You before you ever, ever get into a discussion like that, if you can't lay aside all personal feelings and concerns, right. and and approach it with with the attitude of this is not about me. Essentially, this is about God. Right. I I, I want to have this discussion for the right reasons. Right. Now, the, the the challenge is it has to come from the other side the same way, eventually. But. But if you both come in that way, oh man, it's nasty. Because what he, because what he's referring to is when it was came up and and nothing was like brought up to us or any first thing. It was just like one Sunday. All right, this is your last Sunday because we're bringing somebody else in. Yeah. For the, I mean, there was no, I get legitimate it. Yeah, I get it. part of it. I mean, and I'll go ahead and say it because basically we're living together in that. Point, but that was part of their judgmental side, but they didn't know the heart of the people. Now, teaching. That was during, but now that happened was oh, during okay, the Morris stage. So the next word is transparency. No, <laughs> no, it's, no it's during the war stage. The, ne oh. yeah, the next word is transparency. Yeah, yeah transparency, right? yeah. So, so it, it all kind of comes into play. Where there needs to be honesty in a loving way, okay, 
honesty okay. and a loving way to deal with these situations. But you know what? Everybody has feelings. Sure. Everybody, everybody has has pride, whether we want to admit it or not. And and it, but as Christians, we all have to work through these things. Right. And 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 I'm, I don't want to say this much. Anybody in a leadership role in in ministry of any kind, whether it's church, whether it's an outreach, whatever it is, the person who is in a leadership role needs to be able to approach people with humility and transparency. Right. And 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 that's a key to accomplishing what needs to get accomplished. And and so so you know, we'll we'll just I'm just going to leave it there. Right. So. It, I'm just saying that yes, that's critically important to go there from a, a whole Christian perspective. Yeah. But at the same, but on our and a different thing, not related to this. But as us as individuals, we have to be able to be humble enough and transparent enough with God. Even though God knows, we don't. Without us being transparent, He knows. But He, he wants he us know. to. But he wants us to have that transparency to him and bring it and give it to him and us be transparent with him and saying, this is my thoughts. This is what I need. And be humbled and saying, yeah, I'm broken and I need fixed. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good discussion, too. We just keep on trucking. I'm all right with that. <laughs> Let's do uh, prayer requests and praises. We've got about six minutes here. Uh, what do we want to... I mentioned this evening my husband um he's going to have blood work tomorrow they're testing him for parkinson and yeah. he I, they didn't set a date but they want to look at the, his brain you know so they'll probably schedule something else later Just remember the church and whether the same committee will stay in focus and revamp or Ron Randall will keep us focused. He will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't know if, like if you were just going to be keeping the same committee and just like, bringing yeah. in new. Yeah. And then just and, and on the same retrospect, keep Burlington and yeah. prayer too because they're in search of a pastor too. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. You told me that I didn't realize that Burlington was in, was in need of a pastor. Yeah. So, Harold, he accepted a position in the KBC. Yeah, down, and down with the uh, association. But he's going back down south. Where he came from. More of a job and less of a less of a pastor. It sounds like it probably is. So, what else do we have? David Wilson. You remember him? He he lived out in the farm up above East Bend Baptist Church, and that pretty brick ranch had the farm there on both sides of the road. Yeah, he, I, I don't. I, the name's familiar, but I don't. I don't. He think passed I know away today. He was a member at. He's been for years. And they retired and moved to Burlington. David Wilson. David Wilson. But he owned that with the brick. At the stop sign, when you turn left, he owned that brick on the. Just before you drop down over the hill to oh, East Bend Baptist Church. Okay. That, it's okay. a real pretty place there. Yeah. Okay. 
the house is on the right. And the I'm assuming that the brick once you got it turned yeah. on to the ground. This page where Charlie is, that brick house is Okay. Yeah, it crawls from the. Yeah. Anything else? Olivia. Mary Sue. <laughs> Mary Sue? Mary Sue, yes. Absolutely. Continue to remember Mary Sue. And how's, how's baby Olivia doing? Well, she, she's probably past seven pounds by now. I'll know tomorrow when I get my update. But they're weaning her off of oxygen and getting her ready to come home. Oh my. It's, yeah, it's either somebody uh, comes in and way overbids, you know, what it's worth, or you know, they're going to snap the three pound of houses out there. So, I mean, this one. Now, and remind me again of their names, please. It's uh, Roger and Bree. I can remember Roger, but I couldn't. It's Bree. That'll wear you out just looking at that many houses. Oh, yeah, it is. It's what, what makes it worse is because it's so instant, you don't know if, if you stand it. Yeah. Let's continue to be in prayer for them and in prayer for the whole situation. God's got a plan there. <clears throat> it's uh, it's tough sometimes to have patience, just just like for this church. Yep. <laughs> what else do we have? Butch works for me sometimes. Yeah. Well, at least she's got a rare disease anyway, but her like bone density is a negative number, and she fell and fractured her vertebrae. She's got she's got an awful lot. Oh yeah. Awful lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, you've mentioned her frequently. Yeah. Alright, anything else? I know Marty was saying in Sunday school Sunday that um, Mike saw you're still in the hospital. Oh he is. Yes. Um, they still can't get his the AFib under control, um, and they were doing, they did a biopsy on the lung, um, and just waiting to hear back from that, so, but he's, mm. he's still there in the, in okay. the hospital, um, That's just remember Donna, because I mean, yeah. she's got health issues of her own, but just trying to keep up with Mike, and what's going on with Mike is wearing her down, too, so, just remember Mike and Donna. All right, definitely, we need to do that and uh, keep Mike and Donna in our prayers. Okay, anything else before we go to Lord in Prayer? All right, let's go to Lord in Prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the open discussion. I thank you for um, us being able to 
to talk about your word, to talk about the impact of what we read in in, in the Old Testament, what we read in, in, in Scripture in, in general, uh, where we know that every word is important and we know that everything is there for us to, to learn from, to understand, and, and to, to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, help us to do that. And Father, we, uh, we come to you tonight uh, thankful for uh, news that we've heard, uh, we continue to hear about baby Olivia, and uh, thank you for uh, uh, allowing uh, Carolyn to come in here and, and update us each week, and, and we look forward to her going home, and uh, forward to her just continuing to get better. Um, uh, Lord, we're, we're asking you tonight for many things that are on our hearts and our minds. Um, Lord, we, we have uh, friends and family who are suffering, and uh, those who are going through various trials. Um, Lord, we, uh, we didn't mention, but uh, John Scott and Troy and Polly always come to mind and all the things that they're continuing to deal with in the season of their lives. Um, Lord, we ask that you please remember Ray and the, the tests that are coming up for Parkinson's and uh, just be with him and be with the doctors and strengthen Carolyn as they go through this trial. Um, Lord, we, uh, we ask you to be with the family of David Wilson and uh, strengthen them with his passing and, and just uh, let, them, let them feel your presence, Lord. Uh, continue to be with Roger and Bree as they, as they uh, search for the house, Lord. Um, just uh, again, we 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 don't understand the trials and the struggles that we face so frequently, Lord. But um, it's my prayer that that they will turn to you for strength, and that they'll feel your presence in the midst of uh, of everything that they go through, and that uh, that they will prayerfully consider the decisions that they have to make. Um, and that you'll show them the way to go. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we continue to pray for, uh, uh, for Butch's wife and uh, for all the afflictions that, uh, uh, that she continues to deal with. Um, and just be with her and, and be with Butch and, and help them through these trials, Lord. Um, be with Mike Sawyer and Donna. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we're not sure what's going on there. Uh, Lord, you know the circumstance better than anyone, but... Uh, Father, we just pray for strengthening. We pray for, for wisdom and guidance, and, uh, and we look forward to, to healing, Lord. Um, Lord, we just ask you to continue to be with our uh, search committee at this church. Uh, we thank you for everything that has taken place in this church and this, this season that we're going through and, and for the, the stability that we have and for the ongoing ministries and uh, for the attendance and, and the support. Um, Lord, we feel your presence in the midst of it all. But uh, Father, we just ask that you um, give our committee patience and help them to realize that you have ordained someone for this position and that through prayerful consideration, um, they'll come together. And uh, Lord, we again thank you for all that you've done. And we continue to, to look forward to all that you'll do. And it's in Jesus' blessed name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Mm -hmm.